Thank you, President uh, Scott. We'll roll call at 1.01 p.m. Excuse me, call to order at 1.01 p.m. and we'll do next agenda item. Thank you, President Scott. Roll call. Beginning with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Breslin. Present. Commissioner Canning. Present. Supervisor Connie Chan is excused. Commissioner Follinsby. President, and I can't hear several of the commissioners and the president. I heard um, Commissioner Breslin, but I can't hear anyone else. Are their mics off? Uh, thank you, President Follinsby. I'll be checking. Just momentarily, let's see. President Scott, will you speak into the mic to check? Present. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. Good. Thank you. Our last commissioner, um, Commissioner Zvansky, will be arriving late today. And with that, we have quorum. Thank you. Uh, we will now move to item number three, which is uh, a resolution allowing for teleconference meetings. Thank you, President Scott. The item, agenda item number three is the resolution allowing teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 5453E. This is an action item and will be presented by President Scott. As we have been doing throughout this period of pandemic, uh, we have been uh, following the guidance provided by the city uh, to us regarding uh, board meetings and committee meetings that are both uh, held in person as well as uh, on electronically. So this resolution has come before us numerous times and at this time I'd, I'd be willing to entertain a motion for its adoption. Uh, President Scott, uh, Commissioner Canning, I move that we accept and approve the Health Service Board resolution findings to allow teleconference meetings. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded. Is there any discussion among the board members? Hearing none, we will have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. Uh, In-person public comment will be first, and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in the room, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board, secretary, uh, board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I will thank you for your call. You'll be pl placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGovTV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. 
When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment. Our moderator will let us know if there are any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have one caller on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line, you must dial star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. We'll now call for a roll call vote on this action item. Roll call vote, President Scott? Aye. Uh, Vice President Howe? Aye. Commissioner Breslin? Aye. Commissioner Canning? Aye. Commissioner Follinsby? Aye. And with that, mm -hmm. motion carries. Item number four. Agenda item number four is general public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to comment on any matter within the board's jurisdiction that is not on the agenda, including requesting that a board, the board place a matter on a future agenda item. We're now calling for any public comment. And we will begin with in-person public comment. Um, I'll read the instructions aloud for anyone joining us virtually. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in, engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers online, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. When your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 4583-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to our virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all listeners, you must follow instructions to dial in and then dial star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. 
Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll move to item five, which is the approval with possible modifications of the minutes. Yes, uh, agenda item number five um, is the approval with possible modifications of the minutes meeting set forth below, which is September 8th, 2022. This is an action item and will be presented by President Scott. Are there any edits, modifications, clarifications, syntax, misspellings, any of those things that we might want to call out at this point in the minutes that were distributed? If not, I call for a motion for their adoption. President Scott, uh, I move that we adopt the minutes of the regular Health Service Board meeting of Thursday, September 8th, 2022. It's been properly moved. Is there a second? Uh, second. second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we approve the minutes as distributed for the September 8th, 2022 meeting of this board. Any comments from the board? If not, we'll go to public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment, um, in-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president de deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I will give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system said your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we will move on to virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all listeners, you must use the dial-in instructions and select star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll take a roll call vote on the approval of the September 8th, 2022 minutes of this board. Roll call vote, starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. The motion passes unanimously. Item six. Agenda item number six is the president's report. This is the discussion item and will be presented by President Scott. I would ask that all who are present in the chamber who have served in the United States military to please stand. 
If there are any veterans, please stand and join me as a veteran discharged 50 years ago oh. this year. <laughs> so again, thank you for your service and happy Veterans Day, not only here in the chamber, but to all who might be watching this program. Mm -hmm. That's the president's report. Mm -hmm. And we can move on to public comment? Yes. Okay. So in-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public, com new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I will thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGovTV, and using WebEx, opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all listeners, you must use the dial-in instructions and then press star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We will go to item number seven. Agenda item number seven is the director's report. It's a discussion item and will be presented by Abby Ant, executive director, SFHSS. Good afternoon, commissioners. Abby Ant, executive director, HSS. Um, happy to report that uh, our um, entire organization um, strives for a pinnacle experience in the month of October, and we had one. Uh, open enrollment uh, went very much as planned, and we'll be giving um, a full report uh, out in December, correct? And I just want to acknowledge the leadership team that is present in the room. I'm not sure who signed on virtually, but I know Ray Gian, our uh, Chief Operating Officer, Rin Coleridge, Enterprise Systems and Analytics, Olga Stress, uh, gosh, help me, <laughs> is in the room, and Jessica Shi. So, um, Hats off to, to the team for um, uh, the work that culminated in an excellent experience for our members. Um, we have attached COVID uh, slides uh, on the update on the figures, um, uh, and uh, it's uh, obvious that it's becoming harder to track in many ways. Um, and as the uh, pandemic kind of winds down, we're all uh, in many ways looking forward to um, 
a, a new state of being as the pandemic winds down, but uh, there'll be a new set of complexities is the burden of uh, paying for uh, much of the COVID testing, uh, vaccination and treatment has uh, we've shared with the federal government and that will be going away. So um, more to come on that. Uh, and let's just hope that uh, we've um, gotten through the worst of times uh, and uh, it will have sunny days ahead. Um, we are continuing to grapple in many ways with the uh, de high demand for mental health services, everything from prevention to acute care. Um, our plans and um, their uh, organizations are all working uh, really hard to expand a workforce to understand mental health needs, to provide the right level of treatment, and to understand where we get the best outcomes. So to that end, we are currently in the planning phase of a mental health summit with all of those vendors to uh, learn more about how this all works from a member perspective. Um, we also uh, were successful after a two-year um, effort to uh, have a joint contract between Sheriff's Police Fire and uh, HSS to provide their EAP services that are specialty uh, uh, services for public safety. Um, and I really commend the um, line staff, the leadership teams, and the chiefs of the, those departments um, who have really um, helped us get to this point. We're really pleased um, everyone is. We have a lot of room to grow, um, but I think we're well positioned to do that. One of the activities that we did to um, ready ourselves for open enrollment was we did the kind of first ever all staff retreat um, in, on September 29th, I believe it was. Um, very well received by the, the, the team. We were able to enjoy some of the public properties down at Pier 1. Uh, we, the weather cooperated and it was a beautiful day. Um, so um, moving on, I wanted to acknowledge, uh, as you know, that um, HSS is a very active member in the Pacific Business Group on Health. They've issued a new strategic plan and they recognize that the public purchasers are different than the private purchasers and to that end they've created a, a committee to the, to the board, an advisory committee on public purchasers. Um, I'm very honored to be at the table with the leadership of CalPERS and uh, Covered California and it's expanded into Washington State who are very progressive um, and recently I think there's conversations about Colorado joining the group. So they continue to be very ambitious and, um, and, and we're um, working, I think the word of the, the year is alignment and that we can, can be more effective when we're properly appropriately aligned. Uh, so that's um, a, a new update. Um, Letitia Harris, who you get to hear as your voice uh, for public comment, um, is does lead the organization in its diversity, equity, inclusion, and now we've added the A of accessibility. Uh, and uh, she provides um, a very um, well-informed uh, update in each of our monthly reports. Um, looking at the different issues that are um, uh, that were our populations and uh, such that we celebrate, as well as uh, other issues. This month being Filipino American History Month, and then um, there is a, a focus on uh, disability inclusive uh, workforce uh, that we also um, enjoy very much. Um, we have been successful in getting all of our plans to engage with the. Um, International Firefighters Association's um, uh, services for uh, firefighters for um, 
residential care for substance use disorders. Uh, the one facility that is currently operating is in the state of Maryland. There is plans to open a second facility in California next calendar year, as I understand. Um, and so that uh, program adds to the list of the many programs that are currently available to all of our workforce. Um, and so for those that um, are able to make the, the effort to go all the way across the country for those services, <coughs> we um, have ways for them to be able to take advantage of that. Because I think as we all know, when people are experiencing substance use disorder, uh, that window of willingness to get treatment is very small and we want to be able to respond uh, in a timely way. Um, we also are continuing our uh, uh, robust conversations with Delta Dental. We, they are, like every workforce I know right now, experiencing significant turnover. Um, and they're tracking with us how that is impacting our members and um, we're looking forward to seeing those detailed reports from Delta Dental on a regular basis. I don't expect this problem to disappear overnight. Every, literally every workforce in healthcare right now is experiencing shortages. Um, I think we're gonna see the fallout of that in um, many other ways. Um, I did include in the personnel report because speaking of shortages, the city has 4,500 positions open. Um, we are not unique. We have a number of positions open. A number of our really great staff have taken advantage of open positions and made moves to other departments and other professional opportunities. And hats off to them for having that opportunity. It does put a burden on us, though, to try to push the system as fast as we can because we all know it's built to be slow. Um, so we are being very aggressive in recruiting uh, replacements uh, for those staff members. And um, I do wish them well. I'm, it's, I think it's complimentary to the agency that we produce really good people that others want to poach. <laughs> um, it's not fun to go through the transition, though. Um, I think that kind of sums Oh, the last thing I just wanted to highlight, uh, we also, in October, um, hosted the, the City Well-Being Champions of a celebration on a little cruise on the waterfront, um, which was also really, really well received. Um, those champions all have uh, well-being as another duty as assigned. None, none of them really have a full-time job, so for them to get that kind of recognition was uh, just unheard of. And, um, and while being also delved into the world of COVID and uh, uh, had a, we did a COVID um, vaccine clinic at HSS uh, and that went really well and hats off to the team because that is no small task. Uh, the um, administration of the COVID vaccine is very different than the flu vaccine. Um, and so we had to um, accommodate all of that and I thank our partners, uh, Kaiser, who's been really good in supporting our, both our influenza clinics and our COVID clinics. Um, with that, I will end, and should there be any questions, I'm happy to entertain them. Are there any questions on a director's report from board members? This Commissioner Follinsby, can you hear me okay? Yes, we can, Commissioner. Great, thank you. If I could ask the speakers just to speak more directly into their microphones, I'm hearing, but not hearing very well, and I've maxed the volume on my um, uh, health service board laptop. Um, number one, I want to applaud all the health plans for their COVID vaccination numbers. Um, it's really quite outstanding. Um, and just remind our members that 
uh, that getting one dose isn't enough. You're not considered, you know, having completed the initial vaccination until you've gotten two votes, two uh, vaccines. And so I'm hoping that those small numbers of people who seem to have initiated um, are either planning or have received a second dose somewhere else. Um, and of course, we don't have information on boosters, but it's quite clear that the boosters are working for all the circulating variants, of which there are now many um, in various uh, per percentages, both uh, locally, nationally, and internationally. I also want to um, comment on the Paxlovid um, option. Uh, I want to compliment um, Kaiser for updating their information for members to urge them to contact their uh, providers to be screened for appropriateness. I think it's too much to ask if we actually were to ask our various um, um, partners what the up, what the adherence to that is. But there's no doubt that Paxlovid for documented um, cases in the setting of um, additional risk factors not only shortens the course, improves the risk of spread, but also seems to have a positive impact on long COVID, which is an area of very deep concern, um, as many people with uh, of all ages who've experienced um, uh, an active uh, COVID-19 infection, whether vaccinated or not, seem to be at risk for long COVID. And Paxlovid, available orally, does seem to help uh, lower that risk. And so um, I just want to comment on those, um, those issues. I also wanted to ask um, uh, uh, our executive Yant about the um, personnel number. By my calculation, we're down a third of our staff. And I noticed that the um, crews seem to have been a big success in terms of getting some morale and getting people together with a very high attendance. But I was wondering if you have any additional comments um, than the comments you already made about what the impact is of having so many vacancies um, apparently across you know, all uh, parts of the health service system. Yeah, our, our, we're continuing to be highly functional. Um, and there's always a certain number of positions that are open just because of the um, time that it takes to hire. And often we take the opportunity to consider the position and if it's the right one for the agency at this point in time. And so sometimes we go through adjustments and classifications and that adds to the time frame. So there's a variety of things that go into it. Um, it is a higher number of vacancies at this point in time, which is why I chose to put the report in in the way that I did, because I think we do need to, you know, continue to track that. Um, there's, uh, and also what's now, you know, the, the way that the position control is done in the city is very convoluted and hard to um, understand, let alone explain. Um, but I think that, you know, we are well on our way to um, hiring uh, in, into the positions uh, in a priority order because it does, uh, it, we, we can't do them all, all at the same time. <clears throat> and the, um, so, that, so that continues. And if I'm correct, we have, what, 58 or 55 authorized positions total in the department, something like something that. Something like that, yeah. All right. Yeah, it's a so, lot. Thank you, uh, Commissioner, for your comments. I would want to uh, commend the entire staff for their hard work uh, on behalf of the board. 
for their hard work during the course of open enrollment. I know that the numbers are going to come in all of that, but it has been a compounding and improving effort every year, particularly with the e-enrollment process. So I want to thank the staff collectively and individually for their hard work during that time. So thank you. We'll now move to public comment on the director's report. Thank you, President Scott. Public comment uh, uh, will be called in person first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I will give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on sfgovtv.org and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial th star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until your system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we will move to virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line, and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all listeners, you must use the dial-in instructions and select star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. And we'll now move on to item eight. Agenda item number eight is SFHSS financial report as of September 30th, 2022. This is a discussion item presented by Iftikhar Hussein, SFHSF Chief Financial Officer. Good afternoon, Chief Financial Officer. How are you? You look none for the wear after the audit. <laughs> you survived. Very good. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was a team effort, and uh, the, um, uh, the results, as always, um, were very clean. And we'll, we'll hear more about that as, as in the audit presentation. Uh, the one bragging right I want to say is that the controller told us that we are the first to finish the audit of all the departments. So. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Give me a little trophy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Okay, so for the uh, first, the, results, the financial results I'm presenting here are for the first three months uh, of the year. We're just catching up. And um, the, um, the fund balance, the net trust balance increased by $14.7 almost entirely due to the uh, settlement payment that uh, we will talk about later in the agenda. Uh, by the end of the year, um, uh, this 14.7 net Edition will go, come down to about 4.7 net edition. 
Uh, and that's mainly because of stabilization uh, built into the, um, the rates uh, that we're now using. Um, and um, the other thing I want to point out, that as far as claims are concerned, the claims are running high uh, across all plans. And it really um, is this um, unpredictable cycle. We thought that you know, after the COVID, the, the decompression of claims have, had plateaued, but uh, we're seeing another increase in claims. Um, and it's not really COVID-related. It's just people getting normal services um, and, and um, normal care. Uh, so we'll watch uh, the claims um, and, and update you as, uh, to see where that trend goes. Uh, the um, um, uh, the one good news is that the interest income we would see this year would be high because the rates keep going higher. So you know we're projecting about eight hundred thousand increase, but it would uh, be uh, that's very very conservative. It would be more than that. Uh, the health sustainability fund we are projecting an year end balance of two point seven uh, million in that fund. And then the general fund, we are expecting a surplus due to the vacancy we just talked about. So we, we are actually lower on wage, salaries and wages. Um, so those are my highlights in the financials. Happy to answer any questions. Are there questions from the board regarding the financial statements? And this is for the uh, period ending September 30th. That's correct. Any questions? If not, we will go to public comment on this item. In-person public comment will be first, and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. And when your three minutes have ended, I will thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483 953-4365, again, 2483-953-4365, then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comments. No one has approached the podium. We'll move to virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to listeners, you must use the dial-in instructions and select star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now move on to item nine, which is an action item on the annual audit report. Agenda item number nine, annual audit report, an action item, and it will be presented by Iftikhar Hussein, SFHSS, Chief Financial Officer, as well as. Would you please introduce your colleagues, uh, 
Chief Financial Officer Hussein. Hey, or, hey they're my colleagues. They're independent auditors. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll call them colleagues for this round. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm happy to introduce um, um, our uh, team from MGO. Um, it's, um, um, Craig is partner, and um, Yo is the manager on the job. And I would ask that you uh, come to the microphone and articulate their names. Uh, so that we can hear those. All right, it's, a, it's a Craig Harmer, uh, is a partner on the uh, engagement, and Ye Yang was the uh, manager. I'm gonna ask you to repeat that, I could not hear you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, actually, I'll let you, um, yeah, let them introduce themselves. Let them introduce themselves, please, sir. Right, Come you. forward and swallow the microphone. <laughs> hear you. All right, um, for the record, I'm Craig Harner. I'm the, I serve as a general service professional partner on the engagement, and with me is Ye Yang. He's the manager supervisor. Thank you. We're delighted to have you here today. All right, thank you. Get the slides up. All right. All right, so before we start our uh, presentation, I just want to um, thank the management and the staff at SFHSS for all the assistance they provided us during the audit. Uh, during the year, for those who have never had the pleasure of going through an audit, uh, we ask a lot of questions. We ask for a lot of supporting documentation. So a lot of it um, you know, kind of piles on to their normal work schedules, and especially during times when you're going through enrollment and, and rate setting and you know, fixing all the rates in the system. So it is a, a big ask but they've um, you know, always been able to respond to us timely. And, and as you heard, we were able to be the first uh, agency to issue a, a report for this year. So we're here to present the results of our audit for the fiscal year ended um, June 30, 2022. Let's go to the next slide, yeah. Okay. So we performed an audit of the financial statements and the, these financial statements only include the benefit trust fund. It doesn't include the general administrative fund. So I just wanna clarify that. And as part of our audit, we issue, we issue two reports, or three reports, excuse me. Two of them are independent auditor's reports. They go inside the financial statement document. The first one is the independent auditor's report just on the financial statements themselves. And at the very end is a, um, another independent auditor's report on internal controls and compliance. Okay. So the very first auditor's report we have is uh, concerns the financial statements. It's in the very front of the financial statements again. And we are um, pleased to report we issued an unmodified opinion on those financial statements. Um, and we issued our report on October 26th, uh, 2022. Okay, and uh, again, for the record, so the um, unmodified opinion is, again, the highest level of assurance that an independent auditor can give an organization regarding their financial uh, statements and the fair presentation. The, um, the second independent auditor's report we issue in there is a report required by government auditing standards. So we perform the audit of the Employee Benefit Trust Fund in accordance with government auditing standards. And this um, adds additional responsibilities onto ourselves, again, relating to internal controls and on compliance. Now, we don't give any assurance or opinions on the internal controls or compliance, but as part of our audit, we have to consider them. And if we come across any deficiencies in the internal controls, um, that rise to a, a significant or material uh, weakness level, we have to report those to the Health Services Board here in that report. 
and we're happy to report there are no such um, deficiencies or, or instances of internal control weaknesses. Now, as for compliance, we have to take into account um, any laws, regulations, contracts, grant agreements that could in and of themselves have a significant effect on the financial statements and report any non-compliance again to the board. And we're happy to say there were no such instances of non-compliance. Okay. And then, so moving on, the, so the second report, or the third report that Could we I, do. Can uh, I interrupt you on yes. this? Just for the public record, could you go back to slide two? In that you indicated a third bullet that there were no compliance deficiencies, I would like to have that somewhere reported in uh, this presentation right. as well. So if you could add that note, just, so, just for the record. Noted, we'll add that going. Okay, thank you. Uh, please proceed. Okay. So the third, oh, no, we'll go over here real quick. So just real quick, when, um, we'll go over the responsibilities of both management and ourselves. If the card is mentioned a second ago, we're not his colleagues, we're independent from him. So it, this kind of clarifies the responsibilities of both the management and then us as the independent auditors. So management is responsible for pre preparing and um, fairly presenting the financial statements in accordance with US GAAP or generally accepted accounting principles. Um, they're responsible for designing, implementing, and then maintaining effective internal controls over the financial statements, and then for also evaluating uh, whether there's any going concern considerations or any things that they're aware of that would um, place substantial doubt about the entity to continue for a period beyond a year, of which there were no such um, instances this year. Um, Ourselves, as your independent auditors, are, we're responsible for exercising professional judgment, maintaining professional skepticism throughout the audit. That professional skepticism is why we ask as many questions as we do, because we're always probing and just inquiring to make sure what we're being told you know, makes sense, given what we're seeing. Uh, we also identify and assess the risk of material misstatement, so the risk that, that something in the financial statements is materially misstated, and then we design and perform audit procedures to respond specifically to those risks. Um, as I mentioned previously, we obtain an understanding of internal control, uh, again, relevant to the audit, not for the purpose of opining on the internal controls, but just for helping us to understand the entity and design um, procedures. We also evaluate the appropriateness of any accounting policies that are used by management, and then the reasonableness of significant accounting estimates that are used to prepare the financial statements. And then we also conclude whether there are any conditions or events that um, give doubt to the uh, ability to continue as a going concern for a period of beyond a year. All right, and so we'll move on to the, um, to the last report we issue is a report to the um, Health Services Board, the Board of Supervisors, and the Honorable Mayor. Now, this report is called the Required Communications, and what this contains is our uh, professional audit standards require at the end or conclusion of an audit, we communicate certain matters to those charged with governance, in this case, the Health Services Board. So I'll go through some of the um, required communications right now. For a significant accounting policies, again, as I mentioned, management's responsible to select appropriate accounting policies, and there were no changes um, during the fiscal year into 2022, and there were no policies that lacked <coughs> authoritative guidance. There was nothing you know, out of left field that we're, that we're trying to do. Um, significant accounting estimates, there's two. Uh, the first one being the fair value of investments. This requires management to um, estimate the fair value of those investments and the uh, um, 
those are estimated based on the trust position in the city treasurer's pool. So we have all the money in the treasurer's pool. We, audit, we also audit the treasurer's pool. So we look over the pool as a whole. We make sure that the, um, investments are fairly valued and that each participant in that pool, their um, proportionate share, their share of that is um, calculated accurately. The, um, the second accounting estimate for the health service system is probably the most significant one, and it's the reserves for claims, or the IBNR, um, incurred but not reported claims. And this is based on actuarial calculations of the claims reported, and then also assumptions about, the um, again, the claims that aren't reported. This is based off um, you know, membership data and then the uh, claims lag uh, information that's calculated by Aon. So what we do as auditors, we're not experts in the actuarial sciences. We hire our own um, actuarial consultant who's a um, specialist in healthcare. And so we give him the same exact data that Aon uses to calculate those IBNR reserves. He does an independent calculation and analysis and compares the two. And then we're um, happy to report there weren't any significant uh, discrepancies or differences between the work of Aon and the work of our actuarial specialist. So everything, um, we were able to conclude that everything was reasonable and in, a, in accordance with the appropriate um, accounting standards. Thank you. All right, so let's go to the next. All right. And then um, finally, we're also uh, required to report if there were any corrected or uncorrected audit misstatements, which there weren't, and no matters to report here. Uh, there weren't any missing um, financial statement disclosures or um, you know, significant differences. There weren't any, for this year, any no really significant or unusual transactions. The significant financial statement disclosure, again, is um, it's in note four and it goes over the, um, the reserves for claims information as I just talked about. Uh, we didn't have any difficulties encountered during the audit and we didn't have any disagreements with management either. And as far as we know, there were no uh, management consultations with like an outside um, auditor. So that, that would kind of maybe go against something that we're saying. So there were no such instances there. And then lastly, there is one subsequent event reported in the notes of the financial statements. And this relates to what Iftikhar previously mentioned about a, uh, some receiving some settlement proceeds from uh, Sutter Health. That happened, <coughs> I believe, towards the end of September, early October. And because that happened before the, we issued the financial statements, we have to put a note in there describing that transaction because of its significance. Okay. All right, thank you. So that concludes our presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. Are there questions from the board at this point regarding <clears throat> the annual audit? I would also uh, point out to the public and those who look at some of the documents that are um, more detailed than this presentation. The actual report is a part of this item. And in the report, there's a great deal of background and history about the governance structure, the things that we've done in the past, and so forth. It was quite uh, revealing this year. I, I guess I hadn't looked at it for some time, but there's a lot about the background, the process, and the governance of this board in the health service system. So I would commend that document or a reference for anybody that's looking for additional information about what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. Mm -hmm. And to uh, Chief Financial Officer and his team, I commend you for your hard work and diligence uh, throughout this process, so thank you. Are there any other questions from the board? 
If not, we will have public comment on this item. Thank you, President Scott. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when th your three minutes have ended, I will thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comments. Can you pause right there, Madam Secretary, before we go to that point? I'd like to call for a motion to approve this item. I did not do that before, and I didn't want to interrupt you reading. But before we get any public comment, I'm not going to have you reread the guidance again. We'll just pause here and I'll entertain a motion that we adopt the auditory unqualified, unmodified, excellent report <laughs> that he provided us. Uh, Mr. President, I so move that we accept the audit report with um, gratitude to Mr. Harner, Mr. Yang, and uh, CFO uh, Hussein, uh, with the note of the uh, no compliance defici deficiencies you mentioned on slide two. All right. Is there a second? Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we accept the report with the other uh, descriptors that were provided in the motion. And having done that, and having no comments from the board, and having had the guidance read under the uh, Open Meetings Act, we will now entertain public comment. So looking around, we, uh, we do not see anyone in person for public comment. We will be able to move to virtual public comment, and our moderator will let us know if there are any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all listeners, you must use the dial-in instructions and press star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We will now have a roll call vote on the approval or the acceptance of the audit report. Roll call vote, starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. Thank you. We'll now move to item 10. Thank you, President Scott. Agenda item number 10 is Sutter Health Settlement Distribution Approval. This is an action item and will be introduced by Abby uh, Yant, Executive Director, and <coughs> presented by Iftikhar Hussein, SFHSS Chief Financial Officer. Thank you. Um, 
I think uh, our board is very well informed of the long story of the Sutter um, lawsuits that occurred. And um, so I would like to just shift our uh, conversation today to talk about the fact that we did receive settlement funds. And as you've heard, they have been deposited and we are expecting a second payment. Um, and so we have um, worked with our actuary, with our city attorney's office, with our third party uh, attorney advice to bring this recommendation to you today. Um, and um, so I'm going to let Iftikhar do the presentation. I, I also, excuse me, wanted just to comment that um, we were um, a little delayed in having the most robust conversation before this committee, and so we did make some changes to the memo and the slide that were in your packet, um, and we've given you hard copies here now, and uh, Iftikhar will point out where these changes were made. Yeah, so um, I, this commissioner sure. follows me since I'm not in the room. Um, is it possible to uh, transmit uh, copies of this to me electronically so I can review those? I can send you the URL to connect on the website to the. Are they on the website? No. I, I can I can make sure that he you gets can it. Do yeah. It faster than if, yeah. Okay. And yeah, as it as be you hard for me to vote on this item if I don't have the information. Thank yeah, you. And you'll see it on the display screen as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, I um, we've invited uh, Emma Hu uh, uh, from uh, Purchasers Business Group on Health. She was involved with this issue uh, ten years dating ten years back. So in case there's any questions about the background of this information legal, so she's she's available to answer those questions. Where is, uh, that, where uh, is she virtually. in the room? Or is she, she is remote. Room? She's remote. Yeah. Hello, Emma. <laughs> I, I can see that she's listening in, yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Just confirming I'm here. Okay. Thank you, Emma. Uh, welcome. Um, all right, so just the housekeeping items. I'll just outline uh, the changes between the posted material and uh, what you uh, see here today. Uh, so first of all, the yeah the amounts um, that you see here are the corrected amounts. There were two distributions, so there's some confusion about the first distribution and second distribution in total amount. But the distribution that we have received is 14.7, almost 14.8 million. Uh, the second distribution, six months from now, would be uh, another two million estimated. Um, so. Uh, so, and then um, in the recommended action, um, I think it still says 17. It should really be 17.5 because Excuse me. that's the Holly, max. are we projecting the current, the most current one? <coughs> yes, this is the most current one, correct? Yeah, the, the, the motion at the bottom, I think, says 17. It should be 17.5, so I'm not sure what happened there. Um, the... Um, yeah, and, the, and the reason is, is that the second distribution uh, will be a true up, so it could be slightly more than two million in case there is. The motion says up to an amount, so I thought it'd be prudent to make it 17.5 uh, in case that amount is higher. The, um, uh, so the thing I want to point out is that the uh, charter does not really address um, uh, specifically how legal settlements should be handled. Uh, so this is something that requires board action. Uh, typically, what we do is we estimate uh, rates, 
And in the rate setting process, we have a process called stabilization, which has very specific rules about how surpluses and deficits are used uh, for the purposes of rate stabilization. This is not rate stabilization. It is just information that would be used in the trust um, to set future rates in a process similar to uh, rate stabilization. So we're calling the process um, underwriting rate setting process. We're not calling it stabilization. Would you repeat that again, please? So we're calling the process. Um, so the original uh, write-up had used the word rate stabilization, which has a very specific meaning, and bound by policy. So this is a separate. Um, so the term we're using here is the actual underwriting rate setting process, um, which is a broader term than just um, rate stabilization. So the process, so uh, the four, the fourteen point seven million, along with the second distribution, uh, we would use uh, in the rate setting process, beginning with plan year twenty twenty four, because the twenty twenty three rates have already been set and approved uh, by the super board of supervisors. Um, so, if the car, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So, in the recommendation slide, instead of saying. Uh, for the rate stabilization, you would use the underwriting rate setting procedures yeah. beginning in plan year 2024? Uh, that is correct, yeah. So that actually, oh, that, to yeah, this is, yeah, it should say, send it, to you. it should say the underwriting rate stabilization process. Yes. Let's resend it to you. So those are your only changes, including the amounts. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, happy to answer any questions about this. And again, this is a this is um, a lawsuit from 2014, lots of history, um, and uh, we're happy to have the funds and to use that to reduce uh, future rates. Are there questions from the board regarding the receipt of this and the proposed recommended action? Well, this <clears throat> this was strictly Sutter, right? And like United Healthcare, we also use Sutter doctors through the through them. So, like when you say only Blue Shield members would be rates would be changed. How does that? I don't understand that for sure. Yeah. So the we did have a United. PPO product, the city plan right. uh, back right. then. So all those numbers were used. So that's now administered by Blue Shield. So as we said, future rates, it would be through that Blue Shield product. Okay. So so when did this end? I mean, when did this actually start, this lawsuit? This lawsuit started in 2014. Before we actually had United Healthcare, like, like the retirees in United Healthcare now, uh, you, we have Sutter doctors too. So we, um, we, we had a city plan, I think, is, is mostly where the claims were covered. So we submitted claims that were eligible under the um, class action. Um, and so we went through, and regardless of who was administering them, since we went through the change with the Blue Shield and United. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you raise an important question. Um, I think we can investigate that, and that's why we wanted to be a little more open about how we would distribute the funds. 
Um, so we're asking today for us to, you know, um, to support the a the fact that we deposited the check and it's it's in the trust, and then um, with the help of our actuary and any legal advice that we might need, we'll um, carefully consider the distribution. But it's not my recollection, and maybe Emma uh, knows. I'm not sure, but that this lawsuit included the Medicare population. But that's uh, it's a yeah. good point, and we will look into that. Yeah, definitely because. <laughs> But I don't think it should impact the a lot recommendations of today. Doctors under United Healthcare. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. And and so we we did when we wrote this originally. Um, we were being trying to be very um, pointed about how we would distribute it. And then after we had a more robust internal conversation, we determined we needed to think about it as we set the rates next year. And so there's a lot of time for consideration of questions like that. So if there's others, we'd really appreciate hearing hearing them and we'll be sure to address them before we bring up to you. I can't remember exactly who <clears throat> what other plans we had back then. I mean besides I don't even when did United Healthcare start it? Probably I mean for the sixteen Medicare, I believe. Was it sixteen? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But two points. Commissioner Falls, please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is this lawsuit really involved Sutter Health and Hospital, you know, the Sutter Health System, which was the hospital system. The medical groups, you know, unless the physician became a Sutter physician through, you know, this or more recently enacted mechanism, that this most of the physicians involve medical groups that are different from the Sutter hospital system. Um, and so I don't know that this would affect, you know, the the physician bills and billing and all that if for through the various medical groups. I don't think it would. Uh, Am I wrong? Emma, can you respond to that? Yeah, it is um, specifically based on the hospital claims that were submitted by the carriers between a period starting in 2003 to 2016. So it, it would not cover Medicare Advantage. It's just commercial um, self-funded or flex-funded plans. Thank you for the clarification. Are there other questions or observations from the board? Hearing none, I'm ready to entertain a motion. Uh, Mr. President, I move that we approve the Sutter Health Settlement distribution as discussed with uh, future considerations as noted uh, during our conversation. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we accept the recommendation as discussed. Are there any further questions or comments from the board? If not, we'll open it up for public comment. Thank you, President Scott. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For un anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers online, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I will thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the next caller will be unmuted. 
Remote viewing is available on SFGovTV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public call line and dial star 3 to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to virtual public comment. I'll be checking our queue to see if there are any public callers in the public comment queue at this time. There are zero callers um, in the public comment queue in, at this time, and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue. A reminder to all the callers on the line, you must dial star three to be added to the public comment queue for this agenda item. We'll wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. There are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now have a roll call vote on this item. Roll call vote, starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. The motion carries unanimously. Now, we have done very well up to this point. And we have a foot slog ahead of us in terms of a presentation. So I'm going to request that we now take the next agenda item and then take a brief break uh, before 3 o'clock when our uh, guest presenter will come aboard. So thank you for your cooperation and limiting your comments and observations. So at this point, we'll take item number 11. Education. So, President Scott, I, I, if I heard you right, we're going to um, wait for our, our 11, uh, agenda item number 11 call at 3 o'clock, and we'll move the agenda, agenda item number 12 number right now. 12? Yeah. So I have here the strategic plan. That's what I was calling for. Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. So agenda item number 12 is the SFHSS strategic plan 2023 to 2025. This is an action item. It will be introduced by Executive Director Abby Ant and presented by Leticia Harris, SFHSS Senior Health Program Planner and Racial Equity Lead. Uh, yes. Good afternoon, Commissioners Abby Ant, Executive Director. Um, it's my pleasure to present our strategic plan for the years 2023 through 2025. Um, we've been through a lot of change over the last number of years, and it's not slowing down. <laughs> um, and uh, so we went through a rather arduous and lengthy process internally to, um, uh, to, uh, to present, to put this plan together. Leticia Pagan has led the effort. Uh, it's a little bit like herding cats and getting all of us to get on the same page. And um, we did choose a, a style of uh, planning that's a little different than what we've used in the past. Uh, so that was a, a big learning curve for all of us. Um, but I have to commend the management team who all really put in a lot of effort and, and work directly with their staff. 
um, to develop the um, goals and the objectives that are uh, already embedded in the plan. So um, with that, I will have Leticia present. Good afternoon, everyone. Leticia Harris, Senior Health Program Planner at SFHSS. The previous strategic plan draft was presented in PowerPoint form. On the screen now is a picture of the 2023 through 2025 strategic plan in narrative form. At the September board meeting, commissioners were introduced to tactical approaches, refresh activities, and an overview of our environmental scan to better understand the internal and external factors that have shaped our strategy. For today's presentation, I'll begin by reviewing the strategic plan framework, including final iterations of our mission, vision, and values. I'll share our approach to leading with equity and highlight the goal-setting methodology that will frame implementation moving forward. I'll point out how commissioner's input from the last meeting has been actualized in the strategic goals and wrap up with lessons learned. SFHSS leadership team exercised its core value of inclusivity by inviting managers and supervisors to take part in the strategic planning process. Our staff enriched the process by bringing and contributing diverse divisional perspectives in addition to their unique lived experiences as a part of our membership. This includes reflections on the past and future state of our mission, vision, and values to produce the framework on the screen. Our updated mission centers equitable, sustainable, and quality benefits to enhance the well-being of members and their families throughout the life cycle. The updated vision reflects engagement in personalized care that centers disease prevention and equitable services for optimal health. Our final set of values are inclusion, compassion, operational excellence, collaboration, alignment, and the addition of accountability per the request of our staff. Our most recent staff engagement activity took place at the inaugural all staff meeting and retreat held at the San Francisco Pier last month. Staff were asked to select the value that was most reflective of them as a person and professional. Our staff show up and show out in service of our membership, not only as an obligation or civil service, but with a sincere willingness. The addition of accountability shows that we strive to promote a high level of work, to promote honesty, to encourage dependability, and to garner trust from the membership that we serve. We want to show staff that we hear them, that we see them, and we want them to see their feedback manifest in this strategy. Next slide, please. Per the request of the commissioners, we took care to reevaluate the terminology used to describe these goals, including the verbs to make them aspirational, and to balance what is within our sphere of influence and impact. As the strategic goals and objectives are displayed on this screen, I will describe related revisions. For goal one, we've drawn a clear differentiation between the application of an equity lens to benefit our internal workplace environment and the application of a health equity lens to benefit our external customer service approach. As we await citywide directives around racial equity planning and reporting, We'll use the data provided to us by the Department of Human Resources for both analysis and informed discussion. For goal two, the language has been updated from advanced primary care to advancing primary care practice. Addressing the practice of primary care promotes active member engagement in delivering the right care at the right time in the right setting in concert with our health plan partners and key stakeholders. For goal three, affordable and sustainable, 
we've highlighted the relationship between ensuring long-range financial stability of the trust and the active and ongoing commitment of the Health Service Board in stewardship responsibility. This includes the continued provision of diverse educational activities, access to subject matter experts in the areas of fiduciary, actuarial, legal, and administrative matters that are pertinent to their role. The ranking system that coincides with board members' level of awareness has also been adjusted as a reflection of their knowledge, individual expertise, and experience that they bring to this role. Next slide, please. For the mental health and well-being goal, SFHSS is actively engaging our vendors and city partners to identify best practice resources for our membership around access and utilization to address mental health, well-being, and clinical needs. As announced in September, SFHSS is on the cusp of hosting a <coughs> mental health vendor summit that will surely impact implementation of this goal area. And finally, for goal five, optimized service, we absorb the board's recommendation to abed objectives and key results that account for job satisfaction and opportunities for growth from within to gauge staff experiences as they become more facile in their responsibilities and learning. As we debut the strategic plan for 2023 through 2025, we wanna make it clear that leading with equity is at the core of our approach. Since the 2018 inception of the previous plan, we've confronted racial inequities and civil unrest as a nation and experienced a pandemic that shed light on the consequences of growing disparities in our society. These times have also shed light on many forms of inequity that stem from structural racism. One form that this takes is unequal distribution of and access to healthcare resources. SFHSS will lead with equity to support our membership in accessing care that they need when they need it, regardless of personal characteristics, such as gender, ethnicity, geographic location, and socioeconomic status. As we advance the strategic plan, SFHSS is also aligning with leading health authorities to ensure that equity is ingrained within the fabric of our mission, vision, values, and goals. The strategic plan will guide activities from its adoption through to December of 2025. The leadership team will actively monitor progress toward the stated goals through the development of an annual implementation plan based upon the foundational objectives and key results that correspond to each goal area. Objectives and key results are an effective goal setting methodology and tool for communicating what SFHSS wishes to accomplish and what milestones we need to measure in order to get there. Objectives and key results are used by some of the world's leading organizations to set and enact their strategies as a foundation for the development of more detailed and systemic implementation planning to follow. Executive leadership will review implementation planning quarterly with an annual presentation to the Health Service Board. The annual implementation report will include measurable targets for each strategical area expressed in the form of objectives and key results. Adjustments will be made to critical elements of each strategy area as appropriate to changes in our benefits environment in which SFHSS serves. And the board will be active in the implementation, assessment, and evaluation of results from the Health Service System Strategic Plan for the years 2023 through 2025 and beyond. To round out today's presentation, I'd like to share some lessons learned. The Strategic Plan 2023 through 2025 process represents a shift from provision of benefits to a deeper understanding of the health of our population. 
Delivery system transformation that is aimed at better outcomes requires care models that integrate a broad array of services to address physical, behavioral, and social needs. Our department recognizes that race and the social determinants of health, conditions in which people live, born, work, play, worship, and age play a significant role in their well-being. Having a job and health benefits isn't enough. Our members need support in navigating the social and clinical barriers that stand in the way of their health and well-being. And in the Medi-Cal world, social determinants are more understood and evident. But because our job, our population has a job and insurance, the system makes assumptions about those that are commercially insured. We've entered the conversation to dispel those myths and to establish our position as a trusted ally for our membership. We hope that this strategic plan inspires hope and sets a clear expectation of what lies ahead. To close with acknowledgments, we'd like to express our sincere gratitude to the Health Service Board, to the San Francisco Health Service staff, our actuarial consultant, Aon, and our members for providing invaluable guidance, comments, and suggestions as our strategy has evolved throughout the years. I'd also like to extend a special thank you to our graphic designer, Ryan Klaus. If you are watching, thank you for working behind the scenes to breathe life into the narrative form that we're advancing to the board for approval today. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. Are there any comments from the board on the strategic plan? It was uh, sent out uh, with the meeting materials, uh, so. Um, goal number two, improving primary care. How, how do you plan to do that? I, this is desperately needed, but I don't see it improving. I see it getting worse, actually. Um, Big picture, you know, it's like. Yeah, so um, on advancing primary care, we, you know. Can as, you introduce as, yourself to the oh. audience? <laughs> oh, hi, this is uh, Iftikhar Hussain, the CFO, and um, part of the leadership team in um, uh, in building the strategic plan. So the advanced, uh, the improvement in primary care was one of the areas uh, that I focused on. And uh, the key, th there are models of improved primary care, uh, PBGH is in, in the industry. Uh, PBGH has led the effort and is recognized by others. Uh, um, uh, groups as well, including CalPERS. So our goal really is to align with other uh, payers like Calper, like uh, uh, Covered California and CalPERS and to um, influence change um, on health plans and the providers um, uh, to um, improve access, to improve, to integrate behavioral health into primary care. Um, and so it is, uh, I understand, it's a, it's, it is an aggressive goal. And because it is aggressive, we need alignment with other um, uh, payers. The access is the problem because there just aren't enough. I mean. Yeah, so, so on access specifically. It's, it's, the, I don't the, know how you improve that. I mean, it's. Yes, yeah, so, so the way to improve that would be like a leveraged model where you have not, you know, uh, uh, an infrastructure and systems and teams supporting the physician. Uh, in taking care of um, uh, patients, uh, given that there's a shortage of primary care physicians. At one point, I saw where they were offering students bonuses if they were going to go in primary care field. This is, I read this somewhere a while, quite a while back, but I don't know if that's true anymore. But it just, it's just so obvious now. It's really... Yeah, part of it is the payment structure for primary care is um, is not very lucrative. 
Just, yeah. um, uh, to be a specialist, you can make a lot more money and pay off those medical school debts a little right. quicker. Um, so, they, they, again, this uh, is uh, very much an industry-wide um, uh, dilemma that um, we're all grappling with, and um, I concur with Iftikhar's statement that it does take alignment of working with the other purchasers uh, in shifting the payment structure to uh, pay more for um, primary care. Uh, that will help. Um, and then there's the support mechanisms with either front office or back office uh, um, systems, IT systems, et cetera, that um, allow the physician to be the physician. Um, and those uh, can be more, make the practice more robust and, and uh, more fulfilling for everyone. And then uh, many primary care practices are in embedding uh, behaviorists to help with the mental health issues, much of which is, is currently managed by primary care and is part of burnout. Uh, problem with primary care so there's there's just a ton of models and we are not uh, by ourselves HSS can we have an impact on this no but together with PBGH with the uh, Integrated Healthcare Association uh, with many other like-minded um, folks we're uh, pushing forward seems like it'd be a very long-term goal because there's such a shortage and it takes a long time for students to get through school, medical school? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, yes and no. Uh, we um, have watched the reemergence of Brown and Tolan become a much more stable, um, integrated, uh, uh, our physicians uh, group over the last two years. Uh, and uh, so we do see where there is some of these supports uh, that are coming from um, other uh, organizations that, that primary care can be properly supported. Um, can we do enough quickly in time to keep it from continuing to go the wrong direction uh, is, is an outstanding question. And I would only add to, to the comment, and I understand the concern that the commissioner is raising. The fact that we have, uh, during the preliminary phase of developing the strategic plan, began to focus coming out of the last strategic cycle on primary care as an issue. And we spent, what, two-plus hours in a room here in the city, the main library, talking about it and so forth. So the point is it's a longitudinal goal, and we needed to kind of craft a structure around it. And now we're saying that over time, this is where we're going to head. And I think that is the, the real essence of this. We're not going to be in it by ourselves, as has been pointed out, but the fact that we're saying that this is an issue for our membership, and we need to be directionally uh, aggressive and intentional about how we're going to proceed. So it's not, a, not that we said we're going to solve the issue. We said we're going to focus our attention on trying to get the qualitative services that are needed over time. So I think it's a good start, and it's a well-articulated goal in our plan. And we'll see as we go over the next uh, three-year cycle how we're able to marginally or maybe in major ways uh, come up with uh, solutions that will make sense for our members. Yeah, and I also want to add one more thought. Though. I think things have changed as well. Like this is the time, um, you know, my, for my provider days, you know. The, there was really a lack of focus on primary care. You don't really make money on primary care. <laughs> there was just not a lot of attention paid to it. And the, the thinking has really evolved uh, on the need for primary care and its importance in the continuum of care. So I think um, 
uh, we would, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic about getting alignment from others um, and uh, uh, taking on this goal. All right. Are there other questions? Commissioner Follins, yes. I just follow up on this issue and then bring up another uh, minor point. One is that uh, I really appreciate the very comprehensive background information that we were provided as part of this agenda, including sort of the evolution of the strategic goals slide, which looked at areas that were explored. And it included areas where we had not only concerns, but also influence. And so I want to applaud executive directors Yant's comments about um, the alliances with other groups um, to bring this issue forward. Um, and so I think that, that from my perspective, you know, our leadership is really focusing on this in, um, in many ways. One of the ways is possibly we can begin to maybe explore asking for metrics uh, in terms of, you know, um, not only how, what percentage of our members have primary care providers, like we've you know, questioned Delta Dental on in response to a complaint, but also um, uh, what the access time is um, for some of these primary care uh, functions as well. So we can begin to develop metrics, maybe in conjunction with some of the other uh, partners in this. But again, I think that the um, that slide that looks at areas that were explored, including where we have influence and where we may need to partner to have influence, is an important part of this packet. I just want to make one other comment, and that is, you know, when I looked at strategic goal number four, um, and I just want to alert, you know, basically reassure our membership that the second objective under enhancing programs to support early retiree and retiree well-being grew out of these robust discussions about where we felt that we maybe were deficiencies in, in um, what we were able to um, apply, you know, sort of uh, support holistically. This by no means... Um, and, you know, implies that we're going to ignore those people who are still working. At times, the board has been criticized for sometimes focusing too much on early retirees and retirees. But this highlighting this only grew out of a deficiency and does not mean that we're going to um, be less diligent about um, supporting mental health and well-being for all of our members, including, um, including the active employee. Thank you, Commissioner. I would also like to, uh, uh, as a footnote, uh, point to page 14 in the document. Uh, just as you moved the chronology down so that the later years uh, were in sort of chronology order, 23, 24, and 25, there's one bullet that I missed in terms of providing <laughs> some feedback to you. It's on page 14. It's the second bullet, Q. 224 it should be at the bottom of the list so that's my error not yours <laughs> we'll realign this thank you uh, are there other questions or comments from the board um, regarding the plan thank you president scott so um leticia i want to commend you and your team for this wonderful product that you've produced and thank you for um, indulging in, in all of my verbs and my <laughs> and other um, just issues. I think that it's important that anybody who picks up this plan be able to understand and, and catch your vision and know where you're going. And I also read through this plan this um, deep commitment to the members and the lives that are touched by um, the health service system and uh, not to just do a cursory customer service type of um, service, but to really t deep, 
dive deeply into the things that matter and the ways that they receive care and, um, and, the, and the sustainability of that care. So well done. Other comments? I would like to uh, read into the record the letter of endorsement of the board so that we have a clear understanding that this is not just sort of like a one and done kind of thing. The Health Service Board is dedicated to making high quality, affordable, comprehensive health care benefits available to SFHSS members and administering the trust in accordance with the charter. We are committed to our role as fiduciaries to assure that benefits paid for by the trust are available to all SFHSS members without special favor or privilege. The mission and vision of the strategic plan will inform and frame our efforts in the near future. This plan as a whole will serve as a policy reference, planning guide, and communication tool as the board interacts with all constituencies, including but not limited to SFHSS leadership and administrative staff and the offices of city, city government. In acknowledgement of that understanding, the board at this meeting approved the design and development of the, of the strategic plan. As a result, the board will be active and diligent in the implementation, assessment, and evaluation of results of the strategic plan for the years 2023 to 2025 and beyond as we seek through responsible stewardship to better serve our members. So uh, by adopting this plan today, I will call for a motion. We are making that commitment. And we again commend the staff through the executive director and the project leader, uh, uh, Ms. Harris, and all of those individuals on the uh, administrative team who have contributed to bringing us to this point. So I'll call for a motion. President Scott, I move that we um, approve and adopt the SFHSS strategic plan for the years 2023 to 2025. Second. It's been properly moved and seconded that we adopt the strategic plan for 2023 to 2025. And we'll now have public comment. Thank you, President Scott. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you are welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers online, when I welcome you on the call, there is... Um, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when there are 30 seconds remaining, and when the three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and, the, and I'll unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. 
When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we'll move to virtual public comment. And I'll be checking our queue to see if there are any callers for public comment at this time. We have zero callers on the phone line at this time, and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue. A reminder to all the callers on the line or trying to dial in, please dial the number across the screen and press star three to join the public comment for the specific agenda item. We'll wait five minutes, five seconds, and then close public comment for this agenda item. So no callers have joined the public comment queue at this time. Public comment is now closed. Thank you. We'll now have a roll call vote on this action item. Roll call vote, starting with President, President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Fallensby. Aye. Thank you. The strategic plan as described and edited is adopted. Now by my lights, it is now uh, 2.33. Roughly. I would like to have us convene at 2.55. And we'll stand, we'll stand in recess until that time. Thank you. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
We're now ready to reconvene our health service board meeting, and we're prepared to undertake item 11. This is a board education segment, and we have a guest presenter, and we'll start by uh, having Executive Director Yant, once the item is read, to introduce this segment. Thank you, President, President Scott. Yes. Can, can we do a roll call vote since we've had a long break? Oh, yes. We don't roll call to... for attendance. I'm sure we're all here, but uh, that would be <laughs> fine. Would you have uh, call the roll again, please? Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, President Scott. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Present. Vice President Howe. Present. Commissioner Breslin. Here. Commissioner Canning. Present. And Commissioner Follinsby. Present. All right, thank you. We have a quorum, we're ready to begin, and we're now ready to turn it over to our board secretary to announce this item. Agenda item number 11 is board education with a focus on addiction services, including medication-assisted treatment. This is a discussion item. will be introduced by Abby Yant, executive director for SFHSS, and presented by Eric Harem, LADC, principal Harem Consulting, LLC. Uh, thank you, Commissioners. Uh, Abby Yan, Executive Director at SFHSS. I'm pleased to have this presentation before us today. Uh, we had committed to doing a, a board education on substance use disorder in this calendar year, and in looking around for trying to find the uh, good speaker, um, I listened to Eric's presentation that he did for the um, Purchasers Business Group on Health a few months ago. And what I found um, most useful about it is that his focus is on the commercially insured population. Um, you know, we have many uh, esteemed colleagues at the Department of Public Health here whose focus is on some of our street issues and um, fentanyl overdose and things like that. And um, I was uh, able to forge some new partnerships with DPH where they can be thought leaders with us on some of the issues that um, may be highlighted in today's presentation. But I did find that Eric being kind of a third party, he's literally from Maine, um, so that is why he's attending virtually. Um, but um, I did find his presentation very, very um, uh, comprehensive in really how we think about the commercially insured population and the substance use issues that uh, all of our departments um, uh, see and within their workforce. Um, and we care for through the health service system. So thank you very much, Eric, for um, go entering our virtual world. And while we transition, we're going to have our slides presented. And Eric, let us know that you can see our slides. We'll make sure you're not on mute. There we go. I see them, uh, however, they are, are very, very, very small. Uh, not on the, the main screen, uh, which I see HSB secretary, but rather across the top uh, in the gallery. It, it may mean um, from your end, uh, being able to yeah, adjust the, the view, the layout. And there's quite often underneath the row of um, presenters or names um, a toolbar that you can adjust that. Let's see. 
apologies. Let's Eric, this is our moderator. If you hover over the presentation slide, do you see several dots come up that allow you to pin it to the screen or make it larger? Oh, I, I do. It says move to stage. Yes, perhaps trying that as one option. Okay, there we go. That helps greatly. Thank you, moderator. And again, my apologies for the uh, tech difficulties. I think I can see that. And if I need to, I'll go get some glasses. So welcome and when you're ready to start. There we go. Okay, thanks very much for having me with you this afternoon. Uh, I say this afternoon, I believe it's uh, three o'clock your time, uh, six o'clock mine. And so uh, good afternoon and good evening. So we're gonna take a little bit of time uh, and this evening, uh, I think we have scheduled till 4.30 your time. Uh, if we have robust discussion and questions following the presentation, we may need all of that time. Uh, otherwise, I think there's a fair amount of buffer built in. Uh, this, uh, so this is President Scott, this. if I may, just to uh, be clear about our time parameters. We have another portion of our business meeting to conduct, and we're hopeful that we can conclude before uh, 4.30, uh, because our room uh, here in San Francisco is going to be taken over by another commission. So we're hopeful that we can have the type of discussion and your presentation in such a way that we can uh, do all of that. Duly noted. Thank you. So, uh, launching in, we really are going to be looking at substance use disorders and what employers should know and look for for their employees. Next slide. Our objectives today are really to provide you with a brief overview of substance use disorders, definitions, prevalence, types of treatment, current best practices for employers, a framework for evaluating substance use disorder vendors or treatment providers that you may elect for your employees to use, uh, and what employers should be looking for from these specific types of vendors. Next slide. Uh, as Executive Director Abby noted, uh, I provided this slate of uh, information to the Pacific Business Group uh, this early summer in June. Uh, they conducted a what they call a vendor showcase for a range of employers. I believe San Francisco Health System was in attendance. Uh, and what we wanted to do was to try to uh, provide a good framework on how employers might evaluate the types of vendors, solutions, or treatment providers that they would like their employees struggling with these issues to be able to access. Uh, and they hired me to help develop this evaluation criteria, which we will go through uh, in some detail. There's a fairly robust appendix to this slide deck that uh, really unpacks all of these areas, and so I encourage you to review that uh, on your time following. Next slide. So a little bit about me, next slide. 
Uh, as I was introduced, my name is Eric Harum. I live uh, and work in the Midcoast region of Maine. I've lived here since 1997, uh, relocating uh, after a lifelong uh, in another cold place in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Um, I've uh, been operating Harem Consulting, uh, which is a strategic planning, workforce development, and clinical technical assistance consulting firm uh, since about 2016, and uh, work primarily with states, county governments, city governments, uh, health systems, uh, in transforming their response uh, to public health and safety where substance use and substance use disorders are concerned. Next slide. So for our agenda, we're gonna cover these four areas, a brief overview of substance use disorders, SUD, uh, look into best practices for employers' consideration, provide a framework for evaluating these types of vendors or treatment providers uh, on behalf of your employees and what you may be looking for from them in return. Uh, next slide. So what is a substance use disorder? And we'll start with a clinical definition. It is a chronic relapsing and remitting brain disease that is characterized by compulsive drug seeking and use despite harmful consequences. The initial decision to take substances is typically voluntary. With continued use, a person's ability to exert self-control becomes seriously impaired. That impairment is, in fact, the hallmark of a substance use disorder. There are, of course, validated screening measures and instruments for substance use disorder, substance misuse risk. Uh, examples of that include uh, the DAS-10, the audit, or the World Health Organization uh, alcohol screening tool. Next slide. So how do we see this revealed uh, in substance use misuse and dependence? Uh, substance misuse refers to the use of substances for the purpose that is not consistent with the legal or medical guidelines. Uh, often this involves prescription medication. This could mean taking more or less than prescribed medications that are not prescribed specifically to you, or taking a substance at a time when the obligations are inconsistent with use. Uh, and those are examples of misuse. Uh, dependence or a substance use disorder. Uh, the lines between misuse and dependence may become blurred uh, in the presence of chronic use when regular re use results in one or more of the following, a professional assessment really is in order to help identify the extent of the problem and how best to intervene. And when we find health complications as a result, uh, the inability to carry out daily responsibilities with consistency, the presence of physical dependence, meaning in the absence of the substance, a withdrawal syndrome is uh, revealed, and that an individual is struggling with cravings and preoccupation and things like looking forward to the next episode of use. So a little nuance between misuse and a substance use disorder, and, and hopefully those lines help clarify that a little bit and what resources may be needed to help sort of uh, 
get to the bottom of things. Next slide. So we talked about tolerance as one of the hallmarks of a substance use disorder. So let's unpack that and look at that a little bit closer. Uh, and what we mean with this is in the absence of use or tolerance, we sort of feel normal. Uh, and so if you look at this um, fulcrum uh, or teeter-totter, uh, that is uh, depicting what the fancy word is hedonic tone. That's a neurobiological action that underlies really everyone's ability to feel pleasure. Companionship, nurturing our kids, self-efficacy, good food, water, intimacy, those are all examples of neurobiologic action that uh, interact with pleasure for us. And in a normal state, uh, that hatonic tone is, is what we call normal. So let's look at the next slide. So when you introduce a substance, right, the acute use leads to the effects of the drug. Uh, repeated use leads to tolerance or a reduced hedonic tone. The opposite of, of normal or healthy hedonic tone is called anhedonia. And that's really the reduced ability to experience pleasure. So when a person uses a substance and experiences euphoria, perhaps decreased pain sensitivity, sedation, or feeling energized, depending upon the sub substance, and often lowered inhibitions, right? Those are, are often the byproducts of intoxication. So if we look at this next slide, the opposite effect of that is tolerance. Um, and so when a person comes up, uh, they invariably come down. Uh, and the flip side of euphoria uh, and uh, um, reduced inhibitions is dysphoria, perhaps hangovers, consequences, uh, behaving in ways that we didn't intend or that are contrary to our values um, or obligations, uh, and in fact, withdrawal. And in the absence of that, uh, when this teeter totters back and forth repeatedly, what begins to happen is the person experiences reduced pleasure over time and the amount of dysphoric or anhedonic consequences becomes greater and the duration longer. So that eventually a person is using substances not to experience euphoria anymore, but just to function, just to feel normal, just to level load that equation again. Next slide. Substance use disorders really disrupt decision-making, and, and we can see a substance use disorder emerge across these three domains that you see in this, uh, uh, we'll call it a, a credulated or a stair-step table, beginning with binge and intoxication. Right? Over, uh, over time, uh, drug use, uh, individuals begin to, to learn the effect, uh, begin to anticipate the effect. In the absence of that effect, uh, negative affect uh, or withdrawal or hangovers uh, begin to emerge uh, to where then in this final stage where we see uh, readily uh, or constant preoccupation or anticipation. Um, and this is really because there is a uh, neurobiological process happening 
Um, there's down regulation of a neurotransmitter called dopamine that really is a big part of our pleasure center. Um, and as a result, decision-making uh, can be diminished. And we find uh, individuals, um, preoccupation is almost too, too uh, uh, mild of a term. Um, that what we're really referring to is a person becomes uh, nearly all-consumed uh, with wanting to escape this anhedonic state. This uh, state of the absence of intoxication is, uh, becomes uh, misery. Uh, and that is a cyclical thing that feeds the compulsion to continue to use. Um, next slide. So let's look at this uh, from a national perspective. There are 9.5 million or 3.8% of adults uh, over the age of 18 that have both substance use disorders and mental illness. Substance use disorders affect 20 million Americans age 12 and over. Most common disorders are related to cannabis uh, and prescription pain relievers. Uh, in 2018, 3.7% uh, or 9.2 million uh, of all adults age 18 and older in the US had both uh, a major mental illness and at least one substance use disorder in the past year. Next slide. So when we look about at drug use among AIDS groups, uh, there are emerging trends, right? Well, younger people are more likely to use drugs at a, the rate of drug use among people 50 and over uh, is increasing faster than it is among younger age groups. Uh, all those Gen Xers are uh, getting older and the uh, habits and proclivities acquired in the 80s have followed them. Uh, Drug-related death rates for users over 50 has increased 3% annually. 75% of deaths from drug use disorders among users age 50 and older were caused by opioids. 6% uh, of deaths among 50-plus aged users uh, were from cocaine and amphetamine, and 13% from other substances. Uh, I operate a substance use treatment facility in southern, the most southernmost part of Maine, and um, I have to say the the vast majority of our patients are uh, in their late 40s, 50s, and early 60s, uh, and that's both unique to the geography. Maine is the oldest state in the nation. Uh, and York Village is an amazing place to vacation. Um, nonetheless, uh, I see this in our client base. As of 2022, close to one in 10 uh, of full-time working Americans met diagnostic criteria for an alcohol use disorder, one in 10. Um, the rates of alcohol use have increased substantially, including among the employed populations. Reports show increased alcohol use during the workday. Additionally, use of alcohol and drugs among adolescents and young adults remains high. Next slide. So I put this in because we're, we're gonna talk a little bit about sort of what has happened with uh, national trends of substance use, particularly these last two years during uh, COVID. And I use this slide because uh, community norms uh, really are a big deal. 
Uh, we all have sort of our own thoughts, feelings, and values about the use of substances. Um, there are also community norms. Uh, and these were examples uh, during early COVID, the first six months uh, of advertisements that I, I thought spoke to those norms. And so a uh, uh, anecdotal uh, uh, poster from the Veterinarian Society, uh, um, day drinking and stone clients in the COVID era. Um, how, how do we deal with that? And we have... Uh, Hoda and Kathy Lee, uh, uh, Martha and Snoop. Uh, there was a uh, uh, about a four minute video on Saturday Night Live, early COVID, uh, a musical uh, number called Let Kids Drink. Uh, and then we have Ida, uh, our barefoot Contessa with the gigantic Cosmo. Uh, and so just examples of, of media and norms around substance use, uh, particularly during COVID. Next slide. So early studies uh, show that social isolation and other COVID-19 related stressors really were big contributing factors that increased substance use. In fact, 13% of Americans reported increased substance use in 2020. Uh, also in 2020, the US saw the highest rates of drug overdose and fatalities ever recorded approximately 30% increase over 2019, that trend, as you know, of course, continues. Fentanyl has been a significant factor uh, in those overdoses, uh, uh, and staggering statistic, and all of your many of your employees may have families, and their families and kids may be uh, among covered members. Um, so, among adolescents, fatal overdoses uh, increased 94 percent from 2019 to 2020. I'm going to pause there for a minute because that's, I think, a very uh, sobering statistics. So let's look at uh, best practices for employers to consider now that we are sort of armed with the lay of the land. Um, so substance use disorder in working populations further. Next slide. So um, let's just look at productivity and missed work days. Studies show substantial correlation between alcohol use disorder and absenteeism. Despite uh, only making up 9.3% of the population, individuals with alcohol use disorder accounted for 14% of all absences. And so if we look at this, this little table uh, uh, from the national data, and, and we're looking at the level of alcohol use severity uh, correlated with the days of missed work annually, no alcohol use disorder, the average employee is gonna miss 13 days. Uh, with a mild alcohol use disorder that increases to 18, a moderate, 24, and a severe alcohol use disorder, uh, just over a month of uh, missed work per year. Um, I, I have not included that in, in the slide deck, but a uh, um, anecdotal survey that was done uh, one year post-COVID uh, state of emergency declaration uh, Old, um, uh, I think it was uh, uh, three or four thousand employees from Fortune uh, 100 companies, and asked them about their drinking behavior. And and the question simply was, have, have you been consuming enough alcohol during your work day that you're concerned about returning 
to the office or to the workplace. Uh, in other words, returning from a virtual uh, situation. A and the positive response to that was 40%, uh, which is remarkably high uh, in terms of thinking about culture and what happened uh, and what kinds of things were occurring uh, when we all went home for two years. Uh, alcohol use disorder uh, are more common among full-time workers who are men, younger individuals, white or Hispanic. Uh, alcohol sales uh, increased from 2019 to 2020 by uh, about 20%. Uh, additionally, over the course of the pandemic, alcohol use patterns uh, were altered substantially. Uh, the, um, the death rates from alcohol-related complications have uh, skyrocketed. So if we think about diverse populations and patients with substance use disorders, up to 50% of substance use disorders patients are fully or partially employed. Uh, and that would fall into these two columns on the right, moderate to stable housing, some level of employment, access to transportation, uh, and perhaps underinsured uh, versus the stable column where individuals are stably housed, employed, have a personal vehicle and private insurance. Uh, let's look at the next slide. So we need to take uh, time and, and talk about health disparity, uh, which uh, is in my field of behavioral health and substance use disorders is really talking about institu institutional stigma uh, and bias. Uh, and I, I, we, we, I think sometimes pull the punches by using language like uh, disparity, stigma, um, when really what we're talking about is uh, discrimination uh, and racism has occurred at an institutional and systematic level. Uh, lack of cultural understanding by healthcare providers contributes to the underdiagnosis and or misdiagnosis of mental illness uh, in people from racial and ethnically diverse populations. Uh, black patients are 77% less likely to receive medication-assisted treatment with buprenorphine products for uh, opiate use disorder or uh, naloxone products for alcohol use disorder. Uh, racist and anti-drug policies have led to greater criminalization uh, with BIPOC populations, resulting in greater reluctance of individuals to seek help. Uh, there are entire sectors of the national substance use uh, or drug court treatment systems that uh, have significant problems with blocking access to diverse populations uh, as bona fide uh, diversion programs. Next slide. There are populations we know to be more at risk. Uh, people with existing mental health or substance use conditions may experience and did during the pandemic experience increased distress and trauma symptoms. Their treatment may have been disrupted and care providers and systems put under additional strain uh, where we saw many, many people these past few years fall through ever widening cracks in our safety net. Older adults and those with cognitive decline or problems with self care, people at risk for sexual or gender based violence uh, and children and adolescents with disrupted schedules, activities, and reduced socialization. Next slide. Uh, 
So again, when we talked about this on slide four, we uh, identified substance use disorders as a chronic illness, a chronic disease. And I just wanna underscore that with this context, substance use disorders are often perceived and treated differently than other chronic conditions, yet the relapse and remit rates are on par. So uh, in other words, the um, potential for relapse with substance use disorders, uh, as you can see, is very much aligned with type 1 diabetes, hypertension, and asthma. Um, we, we often in primary care, however, don't kick people off of our treatment panel uh, for their A1C not moving uh, or uh, for not taking their hypertensive medications uh, or doing the other sorts of maintenance that uh, all people with chronic conditions uh, begin to take ownership over uh, as they move into sustained remission. Uh, next slide. So how can employers support employees with a substance use disorder? Uh, one, reduce stigma and bias against substance use disorders and empower employees to seek help for themselves or a family member. Uh, the, the main thing there is, is Nobody wakes up one day and says, you know, I think I'd like to acquire a substance use disorder and need professional treatment for that. It's just not a goal that people have. It's something that happens to them. And it happens subtly. It, it's a seductive uh, process. And before people know it, they're in, up to their neck. Uh, and then telling someone that and asking for help is very, very difficult. Uh, our response to that are providing pathways for that are hugely important at being able to help our employees make a U-turn uh, and engage in recovery and move forward with becoming uh, valuable, productive, uh, talented employees for you. Uh, we wanna promote the availability of timely, accessible, relevant and engaging treatment options. That sounds fancy, but it's not. When a person needs help, it needs to be there. Uh, it needs to be easier to get than to avoid. Uh, and once they show up, the stuff that they're provided needs to work. It needs to be relevant, and it needs to be delivered by people who are engaging. Understanding uh, the power of language, modifying to align with non-stigmatizing messages, your words, really do matter. Uh, examine the culture as it relates to substance use as norms of business or life, uh, stress relief, modify to infuse norms that improve health, wellness, and accommodate the expanding workforce in remission. Uh, if you have a, a, a pocket or a population of employees you are concerned about that you feel are at high risk, um, Getting folks together outside of a happy hour uh, would be a worthwhile endeavor. Next slide. So there are some resources that I wanna make folks aware of. These are uh, in fact employer toolkits. These are three such that are really, I think, uh, salient. You're not gonna get a lot of fluff from these, you're gonna get right to the facts and some real great examples of the types of things that employers can do to reduce stigma uh, and 
uh, in fact, show their employees that if you need help, uh, we can help you obtain that. Uh, next slide. So if we put this all together, we're talking about substance use disorder as a cycle. And of the three pair of glasses I have here, none of them are the right one. Um, we're going to see the, the cycle of addiction in the middle. Uh, the swooping arrow at the bottom is active use. Then we have uh, person emerges remorseful. Uh, they, they may have a recommitment uh, and uh, begin to engage in, in uh, abstinence or use reduction and, and recovery-oriented activities. Um, then some trigger may occur for an individual, uh, and it, for some it may simply be boredom. Uh, and restless and irritability and discontentedness and those kinds of feelings are dangerous things for folks in early recovery to sit with uh, because it sets off this chain of events again. Uh, and so next slide. So when we think about substance use disorders in the course of recovery, um, I... <sighs> What's most important here for folks to, to grapple with is that uh, there, there sadly is not a magic wand. Uh, for those of us that saw, you know, some of the, the movies promoting treatment and recovery uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, uh, and the, the programs that Meg Ryan uh, went to and rekindled with Anthony Garcia are fewer and farther between. Um, the film Clean and Sober with Michael Keaton, um, similarly, uh, th there, there is, again, this chronicity to substance use disorder that involves phases of relapse and remission. Uh, and what we see is that individuals who struggle with substance use disorders do so for a good long time before they move into full sustained remission. Uh, and most individuals with substance use disorders, particularly working adults, are able to be highly functional and sustain a, a, a very high level of professionalism and uh, career mobility in spite of uh, perhaps a pretty significant substance use disorder. Uh, and what we see is that people self-initiate cessation attempts, often for four or five years, secretly on their own, uh, before beginning to seek professional help. So when I see somebody for treatment, and it's their first time ever coming to a professional program for treatment, um, what a lot of people don't know is that that person often has been really, really working hard to uh, gain, regain control, uh, oftentimes for four or five years before even walking through the door the first time and saying, hey, I have a, a problem and I need some help. And I think that's the biggest thing that I want people to be aware of is, is by the time if someone comes to you and says, I think I need some help, uh, there's a lot that has been going on that nobody really knows about. 
uh, in terms of how hard this person's been trying up to that point. Uh, and I say that because I, I hope if you find yourselves or any of, of your uh, business leads, directors, uh, uh, managers, et cetera, find themselves in these conversations with people, uh, if you can sort of contextualize it that way first, it's, it's a little easier to find empathy. Uh, and what folks need in that moment is is some you know some empathy, certainly some uh, swimming lanes and some expectations and some boundaries, uh, and uh, an understanding of what's tolerated and what's not. Uh, but most importantly, is you know this may be a difficult conversation, but I want you to know you did a good thing bringing it up. Um, let's start there. Okay, next slide. So I am not an expert on uh, California law, but I, it's a big enough deal that I, I wanted to include this here. And this relates to uh, uh, SB 221, uh, the initial law that, of course, uh, required initial appointments and no uh, greater than 10 days after the initial request. And uh, as of July of this year, uh, further requires that follow-up appointment to be offered no more than 10 days from the initial appointment as well. Um, I, I, systematically, what that means for the state and the service system and the people who run these types of programs and businesses, I suspect is quite complex. For employers and employees and individuals needing this help, uh, it is a, a really, really big deal. Uh, I'll say uh, from the engineering side of the work that I do, what I know to be true is individuals who ask for help for mental health or substance use, uh, if they can acquire it within 48 hours, two days of that initial request, 85% of those people will show up to that appointment. Uh, any amount of time longer than 48 hours or two days, there is a highly correlated reduction in the show rate to that first appointment. The same will be true of the second. And though this is a, a a pretty big deal to try to do this in 10 days and, in fact, to legislate it, um, it's eight days longer than the data tells us to be predictable of capturing and engaging up to 85% of those people requesting that first appointment. Um, so 10 days is great progress, uh, but if we want to get everybody in who says, I want to go, uh, you've got to try to get that in faster. Next slide. So uh, access, front end process and the patient impact. So these are just some universal truths and some things for you to be aware of. But the behavior, the access characteristics of the programs that you want your employees to be interacting with. Uh, and ultimately the steps we take from the first contact through the end of the first clinical appointment make or break a prospective patient's resolve to attend and return. Again, no one aspires to have to go to a substance use disorder evaluation or treatment program. The many steps in the road to recovery are really not palatable in the first contact or appointment. There's very little use in asking someone to take a sip of water from a fire hose. They won't come back. Rules and lists at the initial points of contact are distracting from the intent of that first contact. Uh, I, I, I'm at my end of my rope. I'm horrible about myself. I've been keeping the secret, and I'm 
calling you and asking for help. Uh, what, again, the person needs to hear in that moment is, well, when it seems like all these things have been going wrong, you did a really, really good thing today. You, you did call the right place. We know what to do. We can help. Let's get started. Okay. And because if we all think about our experiences in the service industry, particularly healthcare, we rarely remember what we're asked in the pre-appointment paperwork. We always remember how long we wait, and we do remember if people were nice or not. And so on the front end of this basic, basic customer service is what you're looking for. Are people nice? Do my employees have to wait? Next slide. So we are moving way ahead of pace, and uh, I think any concerns about the timing of this evening's event uh, are well in hand. So as we look at the third agenda item, now we want to talk about a framework for evaluating substance use disorder vendors. So these treatment programs and providers that, that maybe want to contract with your particular entity or or healthcare provider or third party payer. These are kind of the things that I think you want to know. Uh, another way of talking about this is sort of kicking the tires of the programs that you'd like your people to get help from. So the desired characteristics for a, a, the best impact are uh, when you interact with those programs, uh, people are spoken to in real time. A human being answers that first phone call for help and the place accepts walk-ins. Uh, we characterize substance use disorders as a chronic illness, but it's also something we call a window of opportunity illness, which means there are odd times when it's like a person sort of is open to this idea. And when that window of opportunity is, is even just a little bit open and they say, yeah, I think I, think I want some help, uh, the folks need to be able to kind of pull them in. Um, and that's what you get with this sort of real-time human being interaction and the ability to accept walk-ins. Uh, multicultural competence, the availability of multilingual professionals, clinical triage versus financial. What's going on with you versus what is your insurance? We're going to get to what your insurance is, but it doesn't have to be the first question. Uh, providing for what is tolerable, and so that's back to the drinking from the fire hose analogy, right? Uh, the physician that is the medical director of my program is also a uh, family medicine provider in primary care, and um, when she first diagnoses a patient with diabetes, she uh, talks with them about what we're going to be doing in the next 30 days. Uh, she doesn't talk to them about what happens uh, over a lifespan in that first appointment because You'll scare the heck out of them and they may not come back. Um, so, uh, again, the uh, availability to troubleshoot barriers. Do you have problems with transportation, childcare, uh, medication assistance uh, during COVID? You know, do you have a smartphone? Are you going to be able to uh, attend appointments on Zoom uh, or WebEx? Uh, and do you have the right uh, technology and bandwidth and all of that? Employers uh, should look for these access characteristics in programs that they purchase directly or indirectly from. And the last thing I'll say is that a SUD program in 2022 that doesn't include 
medications for addiction treatment is not practicing in uh, this time. Uh, these medications received FDA approval and overwhelming evidence of their efficacy to improve outcomes and reduce mortality uh, in 2004, 2005. Uh, if we haven't gotten there now, you are not providing a relevant service. Next slide. So the current evidence base around treatments, and so let's just sort of look at alcohol use disorder, opiate use disorder, and stimulants. And of course, uh, <clears throat> many of our uh, employees and individuals that are struggling with substance use disorders may be struggling uh, with multiple uses of substance. Um, and so for alcohol use disorder, really wanting you to be aware of assessment and treatment of withdrawal, uh, as medically indicated, we want to always uh, be careful to assess a person's withdrawal potential with alcohol. Withdrawal from alcohol uh, can, in fact, be fatal. Uh, FDA-approved medications for the treatment of alcohol use disorder, cognitive behavioral treatments that include motivational interviewing, relapse prevention strategies that reduce stigma. And so those are sort of the, the stripped-down uh, components that you would like to see. Uh, for opiate use disorder, cognitive behavioral treatments, overdose prevention, relapse prevention, and FDA-approved medications for opioid use disorder. Uh, and for stimulants, uh, motivational interviewing, again, uh, new term contingency management, and this is a uh, most simply uh, put as uh, really incentivized-based care. Um, and community reinforcement approaches, meaning there are multiple professional actors involved and sort of wrapped around an individual's uh, journey with treatment and recovery. Um, next slide. Treatment comes in lots of different flavors and packages now. And the good news is, is there are national uh, medically accepted standardized patient placement criteria to describe these things uh, and to match the level of acuity or how ill a person is with the type or intensity of treatment they may be best uh, aligned to need. Uh, and so we do have digital options. These are things like uh, treatment programs that live on our phone. Uh, there are a number of them that are very, very high quality. Uh, they often most frequently provide what we call ASAM, which is the American Society of Addiction Medicine, uh, outpatient to intensive outpatient levels of care. So that may be individual therapy once a week, it may be uh, group therapy for an hour and a half once or twice a week. Uh, at the minimum and at the maximum, it might be an intensive outpatient program, which would be typically three hours of duration three times per week for nine hours of treatment each week total. Uh, and that's what we're seeing in the digital platform. Digital programs are able to monitor, breathalyze, urine drug screen, uh, the technology through smart devices, Bluetooth, and uh, equipment that they may send to people in treatment as a part of the cost of care uh, can all effectively be delivered uh, in this uh, modality. What I'll say about digital uh, treatment that's difficult is it's really hard to tangibly sort of put it through its paces. Uh, how do I know this is a quality product because it lives out here in the internet 
uh, and the ether. And the best way I can say to do that is to think about coordination of care. Though our treatment may all be app-based on my phone, um, I might have a primary care physician. I might have an EAP program I'm engaged with. I may have a number of professionals that are involved in my life that are invested in this treatment experience that we're in fact all paying for. Um, and the way a digital solution or treatment provider coordinates with those is really, really important. Uh, they have to be able to do that reliably and credibly. And if they can't, that's not a solution that I would recommend. Uh, there are brick and mortar programs now that deliver outpatient, again, individual counseling, family counseling groups, in-person, virtual, hybrid uh, models, uh, the same with the intensive outpatient programs that we discussed, up to nine hours of counseling, treatment, and therapy per week. There are short and long-term residential programs um, that range from, say, uh, one to four weeks all the way up to 18 months, depending upon the intensity of need and uh, duration of need. And then there are clinically managed inpatient and hospital-based inpatient floors. Uh, this is where we would find mostly the need for inpatient withdrawal management. It was the new term, what we have for years referred to as detox. Uh, next slide. So again, thinking about this continuum of care and the types or flavors of treatment, really what I want you to see here is this full continuum moves from left to right, beginning with early intervention, outpatient services, intensive outpatient services, day treatment programs that may be six to eight hours a day, five days a week, and then into the varying intensities of residential and inpatient hospital-based programs. Um, ASAM criteria, which your uh, employee assistance program professionals uh, and the programs and professionals they contract with would be very uh, aware of. And if they weren't, th that, that would be somewhat problematic and something that I would think you'd want to look into. Next slide. So all of this is what we're getting at with this American Society of Addiction Medicine criteria is uh, aligning the, the person's functioning with their intensity of need. And we do that by looking at six domains or life areas. So we're interested in the person's level of intoxication and withdrawal potential, any biomedical conditions that underlie that would complicate uh, or make things much more dangerous, are there emotional, behavioral, cognitive conditions that add to the complexity? These would be things like mental health conditions, uh, learning disabilities, uh, uh, individuals' uh, um, uh, mental status, right? And then we look at readiness to change, their relapse or continued use potential risks, and then their environment. What's it like where they're residing, where they're living? We simply rate those across a severity of low, medium, or high, and then that array, if we can look at the one previous slide, there we go, would let us know which flavor or which bubble on this continuum is most appropriate for that given person. Okay, so let's go two slides forward. There we go. So the rationale for medications for addiction treatment, we've heard about 
Matt, we heard Executive Director Abby mention that uh, at the beginning in the introduction, and we'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment to underscore that. So what is the rationale for medications for addiction treatment? And when we say Matt, now what we're referring to is medications for addiction treatment, right? The whole formulary. Uh, so MAT is the integration of FDA-approved medications that assist in stabilizing, treating, and maintaining sustained remission from substance use disorders. Medications for opiate use disorder include methadone, buprenorphine, or Suboxone products, uh, and things like naloxone uh, or Vivitrol. Naloxone can come in tablet form uh, medications that individuals take orally or there is an extended release injection uh, that individuals can elect as well. Uh, further for alcohol use disorder, uh, again, naltrexone, uh, another medication called acamprosate or camprel, uh, and disulfiram, which most people uh, recall as being antibutes. Uh, for uh, opioids, there is uh, also methadone maintenance, which remains the most studied intervention for the treatment of opioid use disorder. All of the FDA-approved medications greatly improve mortality rates, treatment outcomes, and sustained remission. Next slide. So what is recovery? And what is the goal of recovery from a substance use disorder? Right? That is the process of change through which individuals improve their health, wellness, uh, and live a self-directed life and are able to strive to reach their full potential. That's the definition of recovery from a substance use disorder. And with our last uh, two or three slides here, let's uh, underscore again what employers should be looking for from uh, treatment providers that you may uh, develop relationship with on behalf or in developing pathways for employees. Next slide. And one more. So if we pack all this in and just a, a salient slide here, high quality substance use disorder solutions or treatment programs include these five characteristics. One, they use evidence-based behavioral modification change approaches, include medication-assisted therapy or medications for addiction treatment, and they have high quality engagement strategies. If you ask what percentage of patients attend their first scheduled appointment, they ought to be able to know that statistic and talk about it proudly. They should have a welcoming first contact and intake process designed to maximize engagement. That's what we call low demand characteristics versus high demand characteristics. Remember, we're talking about a window of opportunity. Uh, and so proving that you really are ready to me that you deserve this treatment, that you're truly motivated to come in. Those are uh, examples of friction. Those are high demand characteristics versus low. Um, we want to be able to provide timely access within 24 hours, ideally, to the first clinical appointment and have multiple referral channels for new clients. No wrong door is what we mean by multiple referral channels. Uh, and we want to directly address co-occurring mental health conditions. Uh, high as 80% of individuals with a substance use disorder have a trauma history or a mental health co-occurring condition, such as anxiety, depression, PTSD. Uh, 
We want to understand uh, and strengthen clients' environment and support system. That means their family, their ecology, their employment, their social world. Uh, and lastly, we want uh, a welcoming intake process and a robust assessment with validated tools. Okay, uh, next slide. So thinking about these key features, substance treated. So are they treating alcohol, opioids, stimulants, or all of the above? Do they offer a continuum of care uh, that matches a range of acuities? Uh, is there high quality referrals if, and coordination if they in fact don't provide the intensity of service person needs? Are they using evidence-based behavioral modification approaches? Have they integrated, again, medications into their uh, clinical landscape? Uh, do they provide treatment for co-occurring mental health conditions? Um, access, 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 um, knowing uh, um, pathways to getting in treatment and being able to articulate their performance in those areas is really important. Care coordination and integration with existing providers. Uh, do they coordinate with a person's primary care provider? Uh, other existing uh, healthcare, mental health care providers that may be involved, uh, and again, EAP often uh, in the mix. Uh, is it equitable? Uh, is access uh, and culturally concordant care? Uh, and then are there peer services integrated and are there opportunities for family and community support? I think that might be our last slide. Let's look at one more. So some key outcomes for selection. Uh, again, if we look at these in sort of chunks, thinking about access for your people, thinking about engagement and satisfaction of their customer base, improvements and outcomes, being able to demonstrate that it's measured and articulated and continually improved. And then uh, behavioral health improvement, what types of metrics, standard tools are used to determine pre-post outcomes for individuals? And then the last two items in blue there are accreditations. You know, uh, do you have some level of uh, accreditation from a national body like the Joint Commission, for example. And I think, next slide. Okay. And so again, this is a, a quick list of the, the 12 areas that we did develop uh, in that showcase for those employers to vet different treatment programs that they wanted to direct contract with. So that's included here. And I think if we look at one more slide, we are done. So with that, uh, I will uh, turn this over to our moderator. Maybe I should stop my... Well, thank you very much for the presentation. It was very comprehensive. I have one leading question. We've been going through a crisis here in California with providers, and I noticed that a number of these things employers should be doing and looking at as they're considering uh, the access is that you are talking in terms of not only a state requirement of 10 days, but you're even further recommending that we get people assessed within 24 hours after the uh, first contact. 
And I don't know how that's going to happen in our current staffing environment uh, with most of our health plans. I know that they're working on these things diligently and trying to negotiate with existing staff and recruiting and training new staff. So it, there's a real um, tension in my, my view of trying to uh, use some of this guidance in the current environment. Do you have any reaction? To I that? can see why. Um, I, I don't have a, a simple solution. Um, what I can say is, you know, I think the legislation is strong and certainly points towards an investment in uh, individuals accessing these services much more rapidly. Um, that meeting 10 days is a gigantic lift currently uh, is uh, something I empathize with uh, as an employer and an individual who runs a substance use treatment program um, as a part of the community uh, fabric here in, in Southern Maine. What we're getting at, I think, uh, or what I'm wanting to convey uh, as a non-California uh, resident or legislator is we find the performance and outcomes for individuals with these condition greatly improve when the rate of access gets better. Um, if it used to be four weeks and we've got a new reach goal of 10, that's a significant amount of progress. Take it. Um, that still does uh, point to, you know, sort of our data that, that demonstrates that you know the faster you can get someone in the more likely they are to show up uh, people begin change by showing up and you know so the first rule of thumb is you, you can't get treatment if if you're not in it and we just start there you know uh, fewer people will fall through the gaps the shorter the wait time is and um Start where you are and go from there. I, I think. Can I, can I ask a, a subsequent question? This is Commissioner Fallins. Uh, can you maybe um, briefly outline what the future is of virtual encounters for access? Is this an area of active investigation? Are there some data? That would support it or not support it at this point, as opposed to sort of you know in-person access. Um, that data is, of course, emerging. Uh, what we've learned the last two and a half years is we were woefully underutilizing that technology. Uh, what we're seeing from the data is that uh, not only have outcomes remained consistent. Uh, as good as they were pre-COVID or pre-virtual care, um, more people are able to access the service. Uh, and anecdotally, um, you know, I have patients that say, uh, we, we work very hard where I work to, to live these, these sort of values and outcomes and, and assure that people can get in as swiftly as possible. And our patients are often in disbelief when it happens that way. Um, 
And again, it sort of backs up to that really basic thing that an individual can't engage in treatment if they're not if they're not in it. Uh, and this technology, you know, ha, ha, is uh, very, very functional. Uh, and the data is showing us that the outcomes have at least been the same uh, than before we use this technology. Uh, compelling enough that federal and DEA waivers that were granted during COVID uh, are going to be sustained at the end of the public health declaration. Uh, you will be able to see patients with substance use disorders on Zoom for healthcare. You will be able to prescribe controlled medications uh, and you won't have to necessarily establish with a face-to-face -face encounter before doing so. Uh, those rules from those regulating bodies don't change easily uh, and that we've moved into that, uh, I think are really strong bellwethers about the utility of virtual treatment. Are there other questions by board members on any of this? None? Well, I thank you for the presentation, and uh, we can certainly use this as a reference as we continue to focus on this strategically and operationally going forward. Uh, and my hope is that uh, as we do this, and we know that there is a, an increased need uh, how we get the resource and uh, the person together at an appropriate time early on, as you're suggesting, is going to be the continuing challenge in all of this. So I thank you very much for your time today and uh, sharing this information with us. Thank you very much, Mr. President, and I appreciate you all thinking of me, and uh, feel free to reach out as you move through this complicated work. All right. Anything else, Director Yan? No, I don't think so at this time. Okay. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Thank you. I'm trying to see if there's public comment on this. There is public comment on this <laughs> presentation. So, please. Thank you, President Scott. In-person public comment will be first, then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time, in, time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll welcome you on the... I will give you an audible warning when there's 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGovTV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates that you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comments. 
no one has approached the podium, we'll begin our virtual public comment, and our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line. Zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all listeners, please use the dial-in instructions and dial star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. We will now move to a committee portion, and I will take a rest and now turn the gavel over to uh, the governance chair for this board, uh, Commissioner Ballinsby. Thank you very much. If we can have agenda item number 13. Thank you. Agenda item number 13 is the Health Service Board Annual Self-Evaluation and Employee Performance of SFHSF's Executive Director Evaluation and Timelines for the Plan Year 2022. This is an action item and will be presented by the Governance Committee Chair, Ballinsby. And we Thank you very much. As outlined in our packet, the Governance Committee met uh, with a full um, participation of our three members. Um, on November 2nd, uh, 2022. Um, this agenda item deals with the um, Health Service Board self-evaluation timeline and draft, as well as the performance evaluation for executive director for 2022 and the uh, draft. Um, there is uh, one sort of correction, and I don't know if our board secretary uh, has hard copies of that, but the um, self-evaluation, the, the Health Service Board self-evaluation um, itself, um, item in the packet, item um, three, um, which dealt with um, uh, the uh, assessment of the orientation was inadvertently dropped. It's been added back uh, for consideration with a new category, which is not applicable. Um, in other words, if, if uh, health service board commissioners don't feel they can address the, um, the uh, this is the uh, old, this is the f incorrect form. Um, the correct one is not, I guess, available because uh, three was inadvertently taken out, but we now added a new category and this category only, which is not applicable. So if the health service board member did not participate in orientation in the last uh, calendar year, they would uh, indicate not applicable. In addition, um, item number 16 inadvertently moved to item number 15 um, in this incorrect form. So I don't know if we have the correct form in front of us. Um, but 16, um, we eliminated the um, word, uh, a single word routinely um, from the statement the board routinely adheres to its own policies. We eliminated the word routinely. Um, so the number 16 um, should read the board um, adheres to its own policies. Um, and with that, um, the timelines and the rest of the form is as we reviewed. And I will, um, so this, um, Commissioner Paul again, speaks. this is the incorrect draft 15 here should be 16. 
Um, and, and because when we add three back, which is the board orientation, then everything moves down one number. I hope that's clear to everybody. Um, I'm sorry we don't have a correct form here for you to review. With that, I'll entertain any discussion or questions. And then if I can, um, the board secretary. Yes, um, for Commissioner Pollensby, thank you for noting the, the edits. Um, what is currently posted online, um, you're right, is incorrect. Now that you have noted them, they will be updated with the approvals today. All right. I move that we adopt the uh, self-evaluation forms and timeline as distributed and edited. Second. So I could have a, a maybe a motion in addition to adopt the performance evaluation um, uh, as outlined and the timeline as outlined as well, so we can have um, a vote on all four items. Yes, that's what I thought and I said. Agenda apparently, item. apparently, I didn't say that correctly. I move that we adopt the self-evaluation uh, timelines and forms as distributed. I'll second the amended motion. <laughs> Any further discussion? If not, we'll open this up for public uh, comment. Thank you. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you're 30 seconds remaining, and when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comments. And no one has approached the podium. We'll then move to our virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line, and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. A reminder to all callers on the line. You must dial star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I will now um, ask for a roll call vote on approval of the four uh, items uh, under age this agenda item as, um, as um, proposed and seconded. Thank you. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Follinsby. Aye. 
it passes unanimously. Thank you very much. And again, I apologize for not having a hard copy uh, of the correct um, uh, self-evaluation um, form for you. If we can now call move to agenda item number 14. Agenda item number 14 is the Health Service Board annual education planning process. This is an action item and will be presented by Governance Committee Chair Scott, or Chair Fallensby, excuse me. Thank you very much. Uh, again, uh, we were awaiting approval of the three-year um, health service system strategic plan, which occurred today, uh, before we go ahead and develop uh, a more um, detailed um, education um, plan, uh, which we'll, uh, we will do at a, a subsequent meeting of the Governance Committee. So with that, I will open up. So all we're asked today is to approve the um, the uh, process as um, simply outlined. I don't I think it's been, it's not projected, at least to me, but I think you have it in your packet. Uh, any discussion? Thank you, Chair Follinsby. I move that we approve the Health Service Board annual education planning process as presented. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Any further discussion? If not, we'll open this up for public comment. Thank you. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length unless the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. And when three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using Robert WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365, then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium. We'll move to our virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. Please use the dial-in instructions and select star three now if you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item. We will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you very much. It's been moved and seconded that we approve the Health Service Board annual education planning process calendar as outlined. We'll now call for a roll call vote. Roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Fallensby. Aye. It passes unanimously. Thank you very much. We can now move on to agenda item number 15. 
Agenda item number 15, governance policies in terms of reference 2022 review process and timeline. This is an action item and will be presented by Governance Committee Chair Follinsby. Again, I refer you back to the agenda packet, um, which um, uh, again states that the Governance Committee met on um, uh, November 2nd and approved a timeline to review the Health Service uh, Board policies and uh, terms of reference. This is remind all of us that um, this is an off year for the comprehensive review. The last comprehensive review was performed um, on, and approved by the uh, board on um, February 10th, 2022, under the excellent leadership of then um, Chair Scott. And prior to that, February 19, 2019, also under the expert governance chair leadership of, um, at that point, Chair Scott. Um, so we have three uh, items that we have identified for review. Um, the first is a policy 210 regarding reinsurance stop loss and how that is handled by the board. Uh, we, we review this annually as, as um, uh, everyone recalls, and we recently had a nice presentation from uh, Mike Clark at AN about this. The second item is to review our audit and compliance language to make sure that um, it is up to date and adheres to what our policy has been. And the third area was brought up um, as we reviewed um, the uh, self-evaluation um, and took out a word and from the um, question number 16 for our self-evaluation as a health service board regarding um, um, uh, our compliance with um, our um, terms of reference and policies. Um, and we realized we need to review them to see um, if we've outlined a policy um, to, uh, on the very rare occasion, make exception, which we've done really incredibly rarely in the past to a policy to handle some more urgent matter. Uh, so we wanted to review that. The committee will meet um, early in 2023. Um, the, um, uh, our policies and procedures um, mandate that these changes be um, circulated um, uh, 10 days prior to a board meeting um, for full, for get a lot enough time for the public and board members to review um, completely rather than the um, five days or four days, five days, I think, that are that is mandated for the regular agenda. So in order to accomplish that, uh, we will uh, meet at the beginning of 2023, um, finalize these changes and circulate them 10 days before, I believe, our March uh, 2023 regular health service board meeting. So with that, I'll ask for um, any questions Mr. Um, Chairman. or comments, and then an, a motion to approve the uh, timeline and process for um, the Health Service Board governance policies in terms of reference review for 2022. Uh, Mr. Chairman, in light of a recent action by this board today and a letter that was contained in terms of the uh, settlement that we received, that there was no terms of reference or charter policy, charter guidance regarding uh, the receipt of monetary, it says legal set settlements. But I think that we need to add, I, I move that we amend the topics to include topic four, a receipt of legal slash monetary settlements. We need to have a more defined process. This was kind of as I understand it, we got the money, it was reviewed, uh, internal administrative consultation, consultation with the legal uh, 
uh, our legal counsel and so forth, and then the recommendation was brought forward. And so we have, it, it's been without uh, precedent, I guess, uh, more recently, but there could be this type of issue that confronts us again, and we might make a different kind of decision. So I think we need to at least include it. We may not be able to, to decide all of the aspects of this by the time of the rest of the terms of reference review, the other three that we've talked about. But I would like to highlight that that gap needs to at least be addressed. So I would add it to the list, and we may have to come back to it at another time. So that my motion is that we add a fourth topic, the receipt of legal slash monetary settlements. I'll second that motion. So if I, if I if, can I <laughs> interpret your motion to say that you move that we approve the uh, statement as outlined with the addition yes. of a fourth area for um, evaluation discussion and possible presentation back to the board um, at the regular March circulation of the March meeting in 2023. So the motion includes reviewing the, the timeline for the three article areas we've already outlined. Is that correct? That's correct. And we're adding a fourth thank you. one. Yeah, thank you. And so, um, and so, Commissioner Canning, I think your second includes those three items as well. Uh, that's uh, correct. In, in addition to the fourth, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct, Mr. Chair. Th thank you very much. Okay, uh, any further discussion from board members? Uh, Commissioner Follinsby, I just wanna uh, clarify, the board packet indicates January 2023 meeting, so, uh, but you've been saying March, so is it March or is it January? Uh, I th think, yeah, that's a good question. I have to, let me, let me um, pull, I don't see the outline. As I, um, if I can, uh, Commissioner, we talked about this timeline and we would try to get it done originally by December. And then we realized yeah. that we were b biting off a little more than we could chew. So we said January, but we have the complete authority if we can't get it done by January to move it further. So, but we, we said we'd move it out of December and move it into January as a as a target, based on the completion of the work. You're absolutely right, and I stand corrected that we have we have added, uh, although we haven't established a date yet, uh, but we've approved the committee governance committee approved the addition of an additional meeting in early December to deal with the three issues that the committee talked about and now this fourth issue with the idea that um, a final um, uh, uh, policy change would be circulated uh, by uh, Monday, January 2nd uh, for review at the Thursday, January 12th, 2023, the Health Service Board meeting. So I stand corrected. You're absolutely right, Commissioner Howe. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So, so we have a tentative December um, uh, first um, uh, governance committee meeting um, scheduled as, as tentative at this point. Any further questions or comments? I move so with that. I'd like to open it up for public comment. Okay, thank you. In-person public comment will be first and then virtual public comment. For anyone waiting in person, you're welcome to approach the podium now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to comment in length and the board president deems new public comment time limits during the meeting. All public comments are to be made concerning the agenda item that has been presented. A caller may ask questions of the policy body, but there's no obligation to answer or engage in dialogue with the caller. For those callers on the line, when I welcome you on the call, you're encouraged to state your name clearly, although you may remain anonymous. 
I'll give you an audible warning when you have 30 seconds remaining. And when your three minutes have ended, I'll thank you for your call. You'll be placed back on mute, and the moderator will unmute the next caller. Remote viewing is available on SFGov TV and online using WebEx. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available by dialing the number on the phone, or the screen. The dial-in number is 415-655-0001. Again, 415-655-0001. When prompted, use access code 2483-953-4365. Again, 2483-953-4365. Then press pound and pound again. You'll enter the meeting as an attendee on the public comment call line and dial star three to be added to the public comment queue. When the system message says your line has been unmuted, this is your time to speak. For those already on hold, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. We'll begin with any in-person public comment. And no one has approached the podium, so we will move to our virtual public comment. Our moderator will notify us of any callers in the public comment queue at this time. Board Secretary, we have zero callers on the phone line, and zero callers have specifically entered the public comment queue at this time. Please use the dial-in instructions and select star three now. If you want to join public comment for this specific agenda item, we will wait five more seconds and then close public comment for this agenda item. Board Secretary, there are still no callers in the public comment queue at this time. Thank you, moderator. Hearing no further callers, public comment is now closed. Thank you very much. It's been moved and seconded that we approve the process and timeline for uh, the uh, review of the 2022 um, in 2022 of the governance policy in terms of references, with the three areas as outlined in the in the agenda and the addition of a fourth uh, area to review um, uh, regarding um, the um, possible mechanisms for handling the receipt of financial settlements as a result of uh, legal or other actions. So with that, I'd like to call for a roll call vote. A roll call vote starting with President Scott. Aye. Vice President Howe. Aye. Commissioner Breslin. Aye. Commissioner Canning. Aye. And Commissioner Fonsby. Aye. So it passes unanimously, and that concludes the business of the Governance Committee. I now turn the agenda back over to President Scott. Thank you, Commissioner Follinsby, for your timely conclusion of that committee meeting and the results. And with that, I, I have been given to understand that we have no presentations or queries from any of our health plan representatives, and they have uh, sat here dutifully <laughs> throughout this uh, meeting today and we want to thank them for coming and sharing their time with us and listening to what was a rather routine we think uh, meeting and I want to wish uh, they and their families a very happy Thanksgiving so thank you for coming and with that we stand adjourned happy holiday thank you President Scott adjournment at 427 p.m.